Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness. We are honored to have on the podcast Coach Kurt Hines out of Coronado High School. We're going to discuss the power of your why as we dig into the podcast tonight. Understand the reason for it, why we need to have it. Coach Hines has a voice that resonates with many people across the country, and we can't wait to hear his take on power of why. Here we go. All right, welcome to the podcast, Life Leadership is a Pursuit of Greatness. I'm Tim Lovell. I'm here hosting with Dwayne Mathis. We are excited to have Coach Kurt Hines on our podcast tonight. He's taking his time uh, in everything that we have going on in the world right now to, to give us a lesson on the power of why. Coach Hines, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you? I am fantastic. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, we are thrilled. Like we've, we've talked about, you, you've got an amazing story. Uh, you've got connection that reaches into people. Uh, before we jump into that and the power of, of why, um, and in terms of leadership, was hoping that you could just kind of give us your, your story a little bit. How did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, you know, I, it, where I am right now, for the people that, uh, that have, have no idea who I am, and, and there may be a good number of people out there, uh, I'm just going into my 23rd year of coaching high school football. I was born and raised on the East Coast in Rhode Island. Uh, my wife and I raised our four children in New Hampshire. And uh, prior to moving out to California, uh, the San Diego area, four years ago, both my wife and I had our dream jobs, you know, where she was working at a college. I was a fourth grade school teacher and a high school football coach, a head coach for Bedford High School. And we, we were loving life as we are now. But what happened was our oldest daughter had come out to school at San Diego State, had uh, fallen in love with the weather and everything out here. So she ended up getting married and uh, had her first child, our first grandson. So we uh, prayed about it, but kind of knew in our guts anyways. We didn't want to be Skype grandparents. So we sold everything and moved across country four years ago. And uh, that takes me to where I'm just now uh, – getting ready uh, to go into my fourth year as head coach of Coronado High School in Coronado, California. Well, I know that you would probably agree with this. First and foremost, um, you're a faith-based guy. You're a husband. Uh, you're a father of three, grandfather of two, fourth grade teacher, football coach, and then maybe last but not least, um, motivational speaker. You've, you've got quite a, quite a legacy that you're leaving. And, you know, as, as you and I discussed uh, your voice resonates with a lot of people. You have a lot of uh, followers who love what you say and you do those quick one minute videos. What do you think as you sit back and look at how that's developed that social media presence? Why do you think people resonate with you so much coach? That's a great question. You know, it, it's funny. I don't, and I'm not trying to say this, trying to sound humble by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I, I truly, you and I had a chance to talk, you know, obviously briefly a little bit earlier today offline. Um, and you had mentioned, I think a lot of teachers and coaches and parents have the, the same thoughts, but maybe don't know how to put it into words. And mm -hmm. not that I have any special way of saying it, but, uh, you know, I, I fought Twitter for the longest time. We finally went on because my wife had uh, suggested mm -hmm. it. And I just wanted to know about other high school team standings. But what happened was I put a video out one time and like you said, it just resonated with people. Um, I, I think really the, the, the it factor for, for my message, if you will, 
um, is that there's truly nothing special about it. And I, and I mean that in sincerity. I think what, what, I, what I mean by that is people can, can resonate with it because I'm just your typical person. You know, I, I'm, yes, I'm better looking than most. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. So, yeah, right. Um, I, I have a great face for, uh, for, for, for radio, I guess they say. Um, no, I just, it, it's, it's relatable. You know, I, I think I, I am, you know, very often I love following some celebrities. I love following The Rock and, and, and guys like that. But for a lot of us, that's unattainable. You know, this, this guy's traveling the world and making millions of dollars in movies and i am a and i take great pride in this but i'm an elementary school teacher and a high school football coach as you mentioned with four kids and two grandkids and uh i, I love life and I, I just think it, it it it's something that's very relatable to a lot of people who like myself are just average human beings well well coach uh i think you know you first came on my radar uh, I think it was maybe a year and a half ago when uh, you were talking about a certain uh, video service that provides videos for coaches and uh, <laughs> kind of uh, uh, talking about uh, their their changes kind of deal and maybe talking about uh, you know I don't want to I don't want to throw any names out there or anything like that but that's where you kind of came on my radar screen because I was like this guy's saying exactly the same thoughts that we're thinking um, so I you know I speaking for myself here only. I will say a lot of the things that you are saying, yes, are exactly what I'm thinking and and dialed right into in line with my thought process. So, I mean, it is a, an extreme honor to be able to sit here and have this conversation because, you know, Tim and I have always said that, uh, you know, regardless of how many people listen to this podcast, this is very much a kind of a, a way for us to improve personally as as much as anything. And it's 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 pretty cathartic for us to kind of get out there and, and talk about our our thoughts and issues and things that are, you know, trying to improve in our in our profession here. But uh, one of the things that I've asked my players uh, numerous times throughout the season, and I think, you know, going back to, you know, your website and the power of why is, um, you know, and I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, coach, but what is your why? Yeah, my, my why, hands down, is to bless and empower as many people as I can. You know, I I, I often joke as an elementary school teacher, I have a captured audience. Mm -hmm. What I mean, what I mean by that is, my students, by law in the United States, now it could be public school, private, or homeschooling, but in the United States, children under the age of eighteen have got to have some type of formal education. So. I love my students and, I, and, and I'm blessed to know that they love me, but they have to be there. As a football coach, we have a captive audience where, and I know we've got a biased opinion. There are a lot of great and tough sports out there, but football is, if not the toughest, it's, it's up there. Mm -hmm. And 99% of the young men or young women on our teams choose to be there. So we have a captive audience where not only we can play and coach a game we love, but we can use that platform to truly – in the, in the greatest of ways, change lives for the better. So that, that's my why, just to, just to bless and empower as many people as I can. That, it's a, one of my buddies uh, calls it a volunteer army. You know, that's mm -hmm. yeah. a great way to, to, to mention that captive audience. You know, you've been doing this, you said, uh, well over 20 years, and you probably just didn't stumble into this is exactly what I want to do, why I want to do it, and how I want to do it. Can you talk about how you've modified your journey into developing your your why? 
Yeah, it, it really all started when I was uh, still a college football player. One, one of my professors, I was going to school for elementary education, and she mentioned that they were looking for a volunteer, uh, a middle school just down the road of where I went to college, for a special needs flag football team. And, and I had a, a soft spot because I had worked with children with special needs, so a soft spot in my heart. And a, a moment I'll never forget in the practice field, the first time on the field with these children, and they were fifth, seventh, or fifth through eighth grade, I believe. And there was a young girl with Down syndrome who dropped the ball about five times and smiled every time she dropped it. And then when she caught it once, and I'm talking literally a five-yard underhand under toss, she caught it and her eyes just lit up. And that was the, that was the first time, because I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, and I always loved football. But that was the first time for me that I thought, man, I can do both. I, I can, I mean, because isn't that what coaching is? It's teaching, you know, yep, it's, it's teaching in, in, in the greatest of ways. But I thought, man, I, I can, I can coach and change lives at the same time, you know, and, and I love teaching. I'm blessed to teach. I've taught for 25 years now. Um, but for me, that there's nothing better. You know, I often say being called, you know, hun by my wife and dad <laughs> or dad or papa by my, my children or grandsons. And then to be called coach is, uh, is something special. And it's an honor for sure. Coach, why do you think it's important for each person to develop their own why and not just lean into someone else's? Great question. I, I think for the same reason that we are all going to go through our own battles and struggles. I often joke with my football players you know, out here in California, we've got Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm not sure if you guys have had those, but man, <laughs> number, number 132 why I don't have a six-pack abs. Um, but uh, I, I said one time to my players, I said, guys, if I had a box of donuts behind me and one of you, one of you guys came up here and tried to take one of my donuts, so what do you think I would do? And one of the players smiled. He goes, you'd kill us. I said, no, I wouldn't. I said, guys, I, said, I, I wouldn't even slap your hand away. I wouldn't even try to stop you. I said, they're donuts. They're donuts. I said, but as much as you guys know I love you, if my grandson was standing behind me, my four- or five-year-old grandson, and someone else, I don't want to use my own players in this analogy, but someone else came up to try to take them or hurt them, I said, I would do whatever it took. I, I, I would give everything I had. And I talked to our young men. I said, you know, we know that some of our young men play football because that's their way out. Whatever out might be. It might be out of the ghetto. It might be out of an abusive relationship or, or a situation at home with their parents. It might be what they need financially to get into college. For some young men, their why has nothing to do with that. They're, they come from a happy home. They're loved. They're blessed. That They are well-fed and they have parents who have enough resources to get them into college. For some of them, their why is just to have fun or to be part of something larger than themselves. So mm -hmm. I, I think – and I, I, I've, I've developed it and, and learned over the years myself also – that having, having a strong why is powerful, but it's not nearly enough. We, we have got to share our why with our parents. We've got to share our why, you know, the parents of our players. Mm -hmm. We've got to share our why with our assistant coaches. We've got to share our why because we can assume that everyone has the same why. And I think it's powerful when we as coaches can get to know our assistant coaches' whys or our fellow coaches' whys when we can help them reach their why and do the same for our players because then we're not trying to let, you know, force someone into our agenda, but we are along that same journey as trying to help them to achieve their why, which might be completely different. Now, would you say essentially, coach, that your why is a goal 
I mean, you're essentially goal setting with your players by asking them what their why is. Great question. I, I don't know if I've ever thought of it that way. Um, I believe so. But for, for me, you know, the, the only reason I'm, I pause there is because for me, and I'm not saying this is right, but for, for me so often I think of a goal is there's a starting point, there's a process, and then there's an end point. And for me, my why, there's no end to it. You know, when, when, when God chooses to take me off the face of the earth sure. and my co- coaching days are well over, I pray that my, my why continues to change and empower lives through the lives I've been able to touch. Um, but yeah, but, but I, I, I think I'm kind of, you know, mincing with words. I, I think it is a goal. Um, but for me, it's, it's not a beginning and an ending. It's just a process of an ever evolving goal. If that makes yeah, sense. Absolutely. Uh, not to sidetrack here or anything, coach, but could you give us a little background of like, what is your school situation? What's the makeup of your school? What are some of the challenges that you deal with in your state? Because we're in the Midwest here in Iowa Obviously, you're on the West Coast in California. There's got to be some some different challenges that you face than, you know, that we face here in the Midwest. Um, I was just wondering to get your insight on that. Yeah, I'm sure. It, it was a huge paradigm shift for me, even going from the East Coast to the West Coast, because my program in, in New Hampshire, we had 144 players my last four years as head coach. It was a brand new high school. So, so I was explaining to Coach Lovell earlier today, we, we went through our growing pains. You know, my first year as head coach, we get our teeth kicked in every week. Like we got beat up bad. And over the process of seven years, we went from zero wins to my last four years. We had, as I mentioned, 144 young men in the program. We had gone to three out of the, the state championship, three out of the last four years I was there. Um, and the reason I share that is because California is so different from New Hampshire or the East Coast in that in New Hampshire, you had, for, for the most part, you had one town with one team. There was one high school in that town. There might be a private school here and there, but your, your, your players stayed with you. I came out here to California, and just in the town we live in alone, which is right outside San Diego, there are nine high schools. Wow. So, so you, you have kids transferring every single year at a, a sickening pace. Um, specifically to Coronado, the interesting dynamics about that and what was so appealing to me to become the head coach there was Coronado Islands. Now, when you're on our field, you can look down and see Petco Park. You can see downtown San Diego. So we're, we're right there, you know, on an island of our own. But um, there's only one high school. It's, you know, one town, one team mindset because that's what we have. We just have one high school on the island. There's about 1,200 students. But... <laughs> and I laugh at this now, but, you know, growing up and, and for the first uh, 19 years coaching high school football, water polo never came into my thought process. Once. <laughs> I, I, I would, I'll tell you, I would see it on the Olympics or in the Olympics. And I think oh, that's a great, that, that's a great game. Well, it, it was birthed somewhere. And I'm not saying the birthplace was San Diego, but that is also a fall sport. So sometimes I'll see young men walking around campus that are the, the, you know, stereotypical DN tight end wide receiver build and they play water polo, which is also a fall sport. Mm. So that, that, yeah. Right. That's an interesting dynamic. Um, we have a, what, what's a great thing I love, but it's definitely a challenge is Coronado Island. There's a lot of old school and some new school money. It's a very affluent community that also houses a naval base. 
So we have what we call what we call North Island. So I've got some real blue collar families and whether mom and dad are, are high ranking officials or not. And I've got the whole gamut. What we have sometimes is my starting quarterback two years ago was a Navy kid, a great young man, great athlete. And he was our starting quarterback his junior year. And right at the end of the, his junior year, his father got relocated. So they moved. Uh. So, yeah. So the, and, and I welcome it. It's, don't get me wrong. There, there are a lot of sleepless nights. But it's an ever-going process of recreating a, a culture and, and making sure that you have buy-in from everyone. Because that young man or that family might be there for the four years that they're in high school. Or they might be one and done. They might come in their senior year or whatever it is. So, uh it's an interesting And isn't challenge. correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Coronado where the Navy SEALs train? Yes, correct. Correct, yeah. So uh and, and we've got some young men in our program whose fathers are Navy SEALs, and I and I love that. Um, but there's also a challenge with that where sometimes dad's gone for the better part of a year and maybe misses every one of his yeah. son's games. Mm. Or you know, so it's uh, but but and I don't preach into the choir here. You talk about you know my why, and I think a lot of our whys. If our why truly is greater than just winning games, if it really is to to impact and empower people, what 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 a greater platform of of opportunity to impact lives that you don't know how long they're going to be in your presence. So the the time every every time we step in the weight room or on the practice field, I've got to take advantage of that from a coaching standpoint and more importantly from a leadership and empowering standpoint, you know, our days are limited. We don't know how long they're going to be there. Yeah. Coach talk about how that power of why and connecting to leadership. What, what does that allow you to do as a leader when you know your why? For me, you know, years ago, I, I, and I'm guilty of it myself. I, I think we hear a lot of people talk about, coaching and saying if you're going to last in this in this industry if you will you've got to have a thick skin and i know i said that for years for me the difference between having a thick skin and a strong why is and this is just for me so i'm not saying this is right or wrong but for me a thick skin might stop me from getting butt hurt or so, so offended if parents question why we're not passing more <laughs> or, or throwing, you know, or running the ball more, you know, we, we had certain games and I was so blessed in New Hampshire to have been a part of a program where we had tremendous support, but we would win games sometimes by 40 or 50 points. And man, I knew that every receiver and quarterback co- father was upset with me because we, we had to run the ball to win that game type thing. And they didn't see it that way. They, they don't want to, their sons to get the stats and all that stuff. Um, so a thick skin might have me sleep better at night and not, not be offended by that. But a strong why takes me so much further beyond not having my feelings hurt and truly pouring into these young men and young women more than I, I could ever. Have, if, I think for me, having a thick skin just has a mentality of protecting myself. So it's a why that you have to bless and empower people in as many ways as possible. Football is that vehicle that you tell somebody, listen, you're a part of our program. And when we win, we win together. When we lose, we lose together. And your role, whatever it is, you got to do the best of your ability. And that's the lesson, right? Absolutely. And I, th- I think what's powerful about that also is I think every, you know, my wife and I laugh about this. We've discussed often I think everyone in America, and I'm talking from football, from, from Pop Warner through the NFL in every sport, has the interview answers. 
you know, they're going to go in and talk about with their best face on, you know, game face, fundamentals, character, and, you know, helping raise better human beings. Well, that, that all sounds great until the proverbial crap hits the fan and you lose a game mm-hmm. or your, your stud player gets hurt. I think it's so powerful when our players in our team, and we all have them, you know, the young men that can't put their helmets on straight or their cleats are always a little bit, you know, too big or too small. They just look, they, they run like a, a wounded fawn or, or, or <laughs> new, new, newborn <laughs> giraffe. When, 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 when our stud players see us as coaches spending just as much time with them in the off season in the weight room and still coaching them up about ball security or their first step or their stance, that, that really sends a powerful message, I think, to our entire program that we're not just saying character is important and we're here to empower people, but we're really trying to change lives regardless of what type of player you are. We want to help bless these people, period. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. So, no, I was okay. just going to ask, Coach. What I mean, what would you say so far? I mean, it's been one of your most challenging situations in California at Coronado since you've been there. And, and how did the power of your why get you through that to follow up on that? Yeah. You know, you know I'll, I'll tell a story. Uh, a young man, I've shared this several times, uh, was not on my radar, sophomore baseball player that had reached out to me just prior to the season. He's uh, already has a scholarship to play university of Arizona. And this isn't one of those, his parents think he has a scholarship or he does like he legit has a scholarship to play baseball. Um, he reached out to me this summer and his father played baseball and football at the University of Arizona, went on to play for the Padres for a few years. Well, this young man who I'd never met before reached out to me and said, my father was diagnosed with a brain tumor, just passed away. I want to play football. Mm-hmm. And my heart, you know, talk, talk about a, a moment to really impact a life. I had a chance to meet with he and his mother and, and sat down with them for about an hour before he even came to a single workout. Um, had a chance to get to know them and pray with them. And he ended up starting for us on both sides of the ball. And there was a, an instance where we were, we were at an away game and I, I was literally five minutes away from addressing the team to go out onto the field. And probably like you guys, like I'm like a caged bull, mm-hmm. like before a game, like my, I get, I get amped up and I walk by him and he's sitting on the bench and I see his eyes just kind of glossed over. And uh, I, I won't say his name on here, but I, I, I said, hey, come, come talk to me for a second. And I took him out to the field, so it was just he and I. And I said, are you okay? And he said, well, it was around this time that my dad passed away. I said, listen, and I, gave, and I gave him an out. I'm like, you don't have to play tonight. And he looked at me, he goes, but who's, who's going to back me up? I said, I don't care. And I, and, I, and I knew who his backup was. And his backup, man, it would have hurt us big. Great, great young man, but not near the same athlete. So I said to him, I said, you don't need to play tonight. You know, I want to give him an out. I said, this, this, this is more important, you know. And he was no coach, I, I want to. And I said, I, I said to him, I said, you're going through something I've never been through. I haven't lost my parents. I said, you've got greater strength than I could ever imagine. And I didn't just praise him and build him up to make him feel good. I was just being honest with him. And I said, if you are going to play, I said, let me challenge you. We talk about this a lot in my program. Be where your feet are. Hmm. I said, let's cry about this together. We'll pray again about it afterwards, but be where your feet are. So it was one of the toughest things because, and, and I, was, I was fortunate enough where, because my why didn't waver, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a question. I didn't give him an out and kind of say, hey, bud, that's really going to hurt us. I didn't even bring that up. I just said, you know, gave him the out. He played for us, had the best game he's had or had the entire year. 
um, that, that was probably one of the most challenging things and uh, completely separate was kicking a young man off our team my first year mm. uh, was and it's in, in all my 23 years coaching high school football is the only time I had to kick someone off the team. And that was heartbreaking. And it was, I, I was, I was blessed with coaches that had been in the, pro, in the program for five years who afterwards later that day had reached out to me and said, coach, it had to be done. It was 100% the right thing to do. And I have still kept in touch with that young man. Um, he has since graduated. He was a senior that year and he was a stud player. He, he, he was a beast for our team, but it was just uh, he was doing a lot of things that just would have been a cancer to the program. Um, but that, that was one of the hardest things I had to do out here in California. Coach Lovell and I have talked about several times in our podcast, the things that you accept within your program essentially breed in your program and that becomes your culture. So, you know, I, I can only imagine. Absolutely. Um, and I've been in that situation uh, was my second year as a, as a head coach where the player that I had to remove from the team was a senior and he wasn't uh, a stud by any means, but uh, he was certainly doing things that, uh, you know, for our younger kids as a senior, he should not be uh, leading, you know, and, and, you know, doing things like skipping practice and saying other things that, uh, like you said, was, was cancerous to the program. And so uh, certainly had to yep. be, you know, cut out and removed uh, so we could continue to, to build our culture within our program. You, yeah, co- coach. Yeah. When you did that, when you removed that young man from your program, what what was the reaction from the rest of the team? The, the, they had seen him. It was a. I'll make a very long story short. It was the first day of double, so we're just in helmets, no pads yet, can't have contact. And he laid two kids out. He laid out two kids, uh, w- just just in a in a walk through drill. He had been allowed to do that by the prior head coach where he was good enough where the coach kind of let him get away with whatever he, he did because he was that good. Um, I, things got real heated, so I called him over and wanted to talk literally six inches from his face, quietly to save face, not to embarrass him. And uh, he said some choice things and started to walk off the field. And I called him back and I said, please come here. And he just flipped me off and kept walking. I said, if you walk off this field, you're never going to play for this program again. And he kept walking. Um, I ended up meeting with he and his mom a week later and I, and I preface preface the meeting with he and his mother saying, you are not coming back in the program as a player. Um, but I wanted to meet and they came in and it was, it was a very powerful, you know, kind of come to Jesus moment for he and his mother and myself. Um, but I, I, I made sure to address it the very next day in practice with our program. And I said, you will never, never hear me speak poorly about so-and-so. And I said, if any of you see him around town, doing things that you know are going to hurt him, please let me know. And, and I actually had one of his friends say, hey, can you reach out to so-and-so? He's, he's really going down the wrong road. Um, but it, it was tough. I, I was like a 13-year-old schoolgirl in the coach's office afterwards when it happened. Just I was crying my eyes out. I was a mess. Mm. Well, I, I know on, on, your, on, your, uh, on your feed on social media, you talked about playing favorites. And that's a really powerful segment for me because – I, I don't think players truly understand that concept that coaches have about quote unquote favorites um, because it's always comes down to talents. I think in a lot of players eyes and we all know that talent can be superseded by character, just like you alluded to in so many different ways. And, and when you play favorites with those kids who are doing what they're supposed to be doing 
embracing their role. That's, that's how you funnel that, that culture and build trust with your, with your players. You agree? Oh, 100%. And, and I know you, you saw the video and I, I won't, I won't verbally uh, replay it at all, but it's, it's something I believe firmly in. And I think, I think we all know this as coaches. One of the greatest things we can do is teach a life lesson through the game of football mm-hmm. that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, our young men or young women are going to experience down the road, probably multiple times. And, and in my opinion, I think, I think all employers play favorites. Absolutely. I think every, every, every walk of life. And once again, as we, it was discussed in the video, it's, it's those that show up, those that selflessly serve and give their best. And, you know, it's just, uh, and, I, and I've also learned over the years, you know, I've made more mistakes. I'd love to love to admit. Um, but one of the biggest mistakes I made as a young coach was I tried to be the player's favorite mm. and it wasn't, it was, it was, it was counterproductive in every way, you know? And now I realize my job as a coach is I want them to love me. They're not all going to like me They're you know, but, but I want them to love me, love me and understand that I love them enough to be honest with them and not favor the talented kids, but really play favorites in that uh, it's the people that show up and give, give their best effort and really, you know, I think that's true in all walks of life. Well, one of the Go things ahead, I was going to say is, you know, in this generation with kids, a lot of them seem to not want to be those kids that are deemed favorites. You know, I don't know if it's similar in, in California as it is, but it's very hard for kids these days to hold each other accountable when they see them not doing things that are going to, you know, help your program or they don't want to, you know, be deemed to try hard. And when you talk about being a coach's favorite, because you do the things that are expected of them, you show up when you're supposed to show up, you, you help uh, breed the, a positive culture in your program. So how do you get that message to your kids? And, and I, you know, I'm sure it's no different than our programs coach in the sense of not everyone is a hundred percent bought in, but how do you get those compelled athletes to bring up those ones that aren't, are just more compliant instead of compelled? Yeah. Love the question. And I love that compliant versus compelled. Um, I I think it comes down to a lot of one-on-one conversations for starters. For me, I've always in my 22 now 23rd year going into coaching. I've always been in the weight room with the guys year round. I, I do it for multiple reasons. One is because during our, and I'm sure like you guys, during the regular season, our practices, I give my, my assistant coaches a practice plan, and it is scripted out where we're down to the minute. You know, we, we got X number of minutes for stretching. We got indies for this long, inside run for this period, outside run for that period. So I can still connect with the players, but not nearly as much as I can if I say, hey, Clark, let me work out with you today. Or, hey, so-and-so. And working out with them one-on-one and having those conversations. Um, I think also celebrating those moments in games. I think, you know, we had a, a, a playoff game this year that one of our safeties um, gave up a huge touchdown at the end that uh, could have cost the game for us. And he started to hang his head and I'm screaming at him, not because he blew the play, but I'm saying, screaming at him like, Ramon, get your head up. Let's go. Let's keep, you know, I'm very animated when I coach. And he saw me like I wasn't mad at him. Like that happened. And then the very next play, and I'll, he'll never forget this, and I don't think I will either. The very next play, right after he gave up a huge touchdown, he came up at, from the safety position to make a tackle on the one-yard line, 
Now, he was not taking this kid down because Ramon's not a big kid. But he hit this kid hard enough and tried hard, as you as we call it, try hard, where he then held the kid for about a second or two where the other kid swarmed to the ball and tackled him on the two or three-yard line so we could win Ooh. the game. And t- taking moments like that in film, where in that particular instance was at the, towards the end of the season, but saying, guys – we. I you you can love tryhards because I don't want to be on the field ever in a game with someone that's not a tryhard, you know, and 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 to get them to understand that you want to surround yourself with people. And I know there's a negative connotation, a goody two shoes, a brown noser, a tryhard, but getting them to realize, like, listen, I want to surround myself with people that want to try hard all the time, and really understand that, or get them to understand that the reason most of us don't like tryhards is because that makes us step up our game. If they're really, you know, giving their all in practice, man, I got to start running a little bit faster too or push myself a little bit more. And it's not I easy. I also think it amplifies man, it to others what they're not doing is the reason that, that they don't like tryhards. You know, it, oh, it, it shows yes. the difference between yes. where you should be to where you currently are. Amen. Exactly. I could not agree more. Perfectly said. Hey, Coach, when you talk about it, I'm, I'm going I'm, – rewinding just a little bit with regard to discipline, um, but you're blessing and empower, empowering people. Uh, you talk about the word love. We use it in our program and we've talked about it is it's not a word that's meek or soft or, uh, or um, uh, demure. It's a, it's a powerful word because really love is discipline. And, and if you love somebody enough to, to hold them accountable to a standard, you're actually blessing them and empowering them to be a better version of themselves, even if they don't necessarily want it. Yes. Yeah. I, I had a coach. I, I've always had, whenever I've been a head coach, I have a no swearing policy. Now I, I want, I want to, I want to preface that by saying out of our four children, our 29 year old daughter, who is the mother of our two grandsons, such an amazing <laughs> young mother and business owner. She, 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 she swears <laughs> so much. It would make sailors. Blush. Now she's, she, 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 she didn't, she didn't get it in our household growing up. It's just, you know, the reason I share that story, I, I, I find it funny is because I don't think I'm better than anyone more intelligent than anyone or anything. The reason we have no swearing policy is I want to have our young men and our coaches show poise mm. and have control. I don't want to be in a preseason scrimmage or a postseason playoff game, have what we think is a bad call and have a coach or a player get mouthy and have it cost us more. Um, so the, the reason I share that is I had an assistant coach back in New Hampshire who would go off on kids. He would go off on them. Now, after – and the, the consequence is you swear in front of the kids, you do 25 push-ups for every swear. If they swear they do 25, it becomes an issue, then someone's going to move on. Um, well, I pulled him aside one time after a practice, not near any players, and I said, Coach, I said, listen. And he had stopped swearing in front of the kids very early on. I said, I don't mind if you go off on the kids because he's a tremendous coach and he knows what he's doing. I said, but before you leave that field, you dang well better put your arm around him. Tell him you love him and have a heart-to-heart conversation with him. And he looked at me, and he was fresh out of college. And he goes, Coach, I'm not telling kids I love him. And it blew me away. And I remember looking at him. I'm like, listen, then don't use those words. But you better show with your body language and some word you're comfortable with. They better know you love them. Um, and he, he hadn't had any children now and has his first son now. So, so I'm, I'm sure that may or may not change, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does change. Um, but it's funny. I, I had right when this whole quarantine thing happened, I sent a text, I, I emailed all the families, 
but I also sent a text before I started calling players. I sent a text to every single player in our program saying, hey, stay safe. If you need anything, let me know. Love you, coach. Mm. So got a ton of replies back. The funny thing was there's a young man in our program who I know very well, and he just sent back, what, question mark? Are you serious? So I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, wait a minute. How, how does Donnie, like, what, how does Donnie not, like, is he thrown off because he'd love you? Like, I say that all the time to the players. So I reach back. I'm like, are you okay, Donnie? And he goes, this isn't Donnie. <laughs> I typed in the wrong number. Oh, funny. So some, complete, some complete stranger. said, so, well, hey, love you too, but uh, stay, stay safe. But uh, I, I do coach. I, I think it's so powerful when we can look a young man in the eyes and say, I love you, and then have them know that it's not because they're good or they're helping us pad our resume or do something. We just selflessly love them as human, be- human beings that happen to be on our football team, not because they're great players. Yeah, they're, they're choosing to do something different. I, I, I've always thought it's important, uh, and I had one of my coaches tell me when I was, when I was growing up, so it stuck with me is, you know, I played football because I loved it, but I, uh, I remember telling the whole team, look, you guys are different. You're, you're subscribing to something that you're not getting paid for. And you're doing something that a lot of people live vicariously through you. And so whether, whether yes. you want to believe it or not, what you do matters and you make a difference and right or wrong, people hold you to a standard. And our job is to make sure that you get the best out of that. And, and we're going to hold you accountable through that process. And if you don't like it, then don't be a part of the program. Well, I know that uh, yep. you certainly don't know this, yep. but Tim and I have known each other closer to two decades than, you know, going on, uh, give or take a few years. But, uh, you know, the reasons that I can tell that we have a true friendship and love for one another is we've had those difficult conversations where, you know, he's been able to say, you know, I don't know if you're doing this the right way. And to me, that shows and the reason I say that is because I think that our kids in our society and our athletes, you know, if, if you were to tell a, a, a friend that, Hey, you're messing up here, you know, they, you mentioned it early, kids get butthurt over it. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you know, friendships are, are ruined or they're not talking to each other or anything like that. And, and to me, when, when Tim mentioned earlier that love isn't a soft word, it truly isn't. I mean, it, it, if you really care and want someone to reach their highest potential, you're going to be willing to, you know, have those difficult conversations with them. Yes. And, and I, I've said to our young men often, you know, I'm like how many of you guys want to have a coach that you love and they raise their hands? I'm like, how many of you guys want to have a coach that you're buddy buddy with? And most of them raise their hands. So how many of you want to be the best football players and human beings you can be? And they all raise their hands. I'm like, then you want a coach that's going to love you hard enough to let you know when you're slacking mm. or let you know when you're fooling around. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll be very transparent with them. I'll say, guys, as I mentioned here earlier, my first few years, few years as a head coach, I was not the best coach to players. I thought I was. But when I had the head coach who'd call a certain play in a game and a player would mumble to me, why is he running that? Instead of looking him in square in the eye and saying, hey, don't question coach so-and-so, or, or, you know, backing up that coach, I would be like, yeah, I don't know. That was stupid. And, and it was such a horrible thing to do, and, I, and I'm embarrassed to admit it. But now when I share that with my young coaches now, the guys that are on our staff, and I say, listen, guys, I want you to, to, to be the best coach you can be. Question me. 
question drills we do, question calls I make, but do it behind closed doors, mm-hmm. face to face to face. I said, because that, that's going to that's gonna help you be part of our program for a long time. And it's going to help you someday if you ever want to be a head coach to be surrounded by other coaches that you know have your back. Um, but yeah, you just, I, I think love is such an underused word and action. You know, love is a verb. And I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we're we going to show it just as much as we say it, or if not more. Yeah, and I think sometimes it takes it takes a come to Jesus moment for that to happen. That you know, oh, the coach is willing to have a hard conversation with me because you know a lot of kids don't necessarily have that hard conversation at home. You know, hey, I'm coming out, I'm going out, I'll come back when I come out, and you know maybe there isn't the structure that uh, they're used to, and so really it might not even be a personal deal. It's just a it's a aligning to the standard type deal. You know, they got to understand what what's at what's at stake here. So, so coach, Absolutely. do you, uh, again, uh, <laughs> do your players know just how big of a social media presence, like their, co- their coach has on all these different social media platforms? <laughs> do they, I, I'm not going to say that you're a celebrity, but you know, to be honest with you, uh, you are amongst coaches in a sense, cause you're, you're one of us, but you, you obviously no. have a huge platform to reach all these different you know, coaches and, and not just football coaches, I think educators, to be honest, because I've always said that coaches are educators that we just have a different type of classroom. So I, I, do they do do they realize that? Yeah. I I, I think some of them do. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny because sometimes they'll uh, I'll be walking into the team room and if I'm retweeted by whether it's something from Max Preps or, you know, there's, there's a funny story. If you guys have time, I'll tell you about it in a second. But um, I, I'm a firm believer also, you know, uh, I, I don't know if it was C.S. Lewis or some famous author said an expert is anyone that lives more than 15 <laughs> miles away and carries a briefcase. I think some – and, 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 and I, I equate I it to with our own children. You know, sometimes you – know, I told my son, we have three daughters and one son, and I used to – tell my son man you're gonna fuel your body you're gonna eat more and it went in one ear and out the other until he started playing football and he played for I was a head coach of a different town so he played for a different coach and he came home one day his freshman year he's like oh coach Huff said I gotta eat more I'm like are you kidding me I'm like now now you're gonna listen so I think sometimes the players you know they they love hearing it and we I don't bring up things I share but they'll bring it up in conversations um but I, I I think they, they understand a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, but if you guys have time for a quick story. Yes. So I, th- th- there was a video, I think maybe two or three years ago now, um, of uh, a pregame speech I gave. And the, the message, I, it was a point in the season where we had to win this game. And the message I wanted to deliver was, hey, we're backed into a corner now. Like, we 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 gotta fight our ways out our way out because there is no other option. Like we lose now, our season's over. Well, the story behind the story, which which I don't share with a lot of people, and I obviously won't say this coach's name, but there was uh it was about five minutes before I was gonna talk to the team. I walked through the locker room and I said, guys, I'm talking in five minutes. And I walked through the hallway and there was a, one of our young men getting a drink from the water fountain with his back turned to me. Some coaches down the hall and another coach with his back turned to me facing the pool <laughs> once again water polo so he's facing the pool and i walked through he didn't see or hear me and he's saying as loud as i'm talking now some very very derogatory comments about the young men playing water polo 
like nothing I would ever say, honestly, on or off off the air. You know, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't say it. And I snapped. I'm like, what? And he's like, I didn't see you, which made me even angrier because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that even proves that you knew what you were saying was wrong. You know, so uh, I ended up. Uh, talking to him very briefly but the game had to go on and i my team was waiting for me to talk to them well he's the one that for whatever reason went in and recorded un, unbeknownst to me recorded their pregame speech um that ended up uh going going viral or whatever and stuff um and it was very very intense but it was intense because i was so just just dumbstruck as to what i had just heard this coach of mine saying in front of a player but about some other people um that ended up being uh retweeted by a bunch of like you know the max preps and, and the huddle or things like that um so my players thought that was a pretty cool thing there but uh the, the cool thing for me was the guys in our team the guys in our program like i'm sure 99.9 of our programs in the country saturday morning you have a coach's meeting and a film session waits with your team um I was able to reiterate to them that I want them to embrace being backed in a corner in all aspects of their life. You know, the people that saw the video, it, it's a good pregame talk. But for them, I want them to understand that life's going to punch you in the face. Mm. You're going to lose your job. Your loved one's going to get sick. You're going to, God forbid, have, you know, a loved one that takes their life, whatever it is, and really embrace the tough situations. When I think as a society, too many of us, you know, shy away from failure and shy away from the tough times because it hurts but don't understand that our true success and growth comes through embracing those tough times and openly going through that struggle there's a really cool shirt that uh, i haven't pulled the trigger on wanting to buy but it it hits exactly what you're saying uh and it's uh you know not uh the the message on the shirt says embrace the suck and I, I think that is so true in the sense of, and, and yes. you hit it because if you embrace it, you have the most opportunity for growth and, and, you know, learning from that, even though, yes, you may endure a lot of pain by going through that. But again, you're going to come out on the, on the other end of it so much more stronger, so much in a better position for, for later obstacles that may approach you in life. And I, I just think it's, as crude as it kind of can sound and as someone, you know, walking down the street may not know what it means, but I, I really do believe that sometimes you just have to embrace the <laughs> suck. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and coach level, you know, t- asked earlier about, you know, my, my, why my first <laughs> year as a head coach sucked, sucked. It, we, 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 as I mentioned, get our teeth kicked in every week. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, once again, sound humble saying this. We didn't have seniors yet. That was part of it. But we lost a lot of those games, not just because we weren't as big, fast, or strong, but because I did so many things wrong as a head coach. My playbook was huge. We ran everything but didn't run any of it well. I made so many, so many mistakes. But in hindsight, I look back at it now, I'm like, that to date was one of my greatest years as a head coach. Because every morning waking up hurt mentally, physically, spiritually, but it really forced me to say, hey, Duel, how bad do I want this? Because it's a lot easier. And I mean this with all respect to every football coach or any coach that's not a head coach. But in my own experience, it's a heck of a lot easier to be an assistant coach. It doesn't mean you don't love your players just as much. 
It doesn't mean you don't pour your heart and soul into it, but you don't deal with parents. You don't deal with boosters. You don't deal with fundraising. You don't deal with all these different things. So my first year in all that suck really solidified my why of how bad I want to be able to surround myself with other people who have a passion similar to mine. And that's amazing because you know, that's exactly what we went through this last year. Uh, we, we, we embraced the suck. And, and to your point of, of, of sticking out the hard times, while we didn't win a game this last fall, I know that the players that stuck with it and knew that they were grinding it out with us as coaches because uh, no one quit, no one gave in. Uh, they're going to be prepared and they're going to be hardened for the time that, that does get tough. Hey, listen, I, I endured, yeah. you know, 15 weeks of uh, really some of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life, not to mention going out in front of my community and getting beat. Um, and then I got to go back to practice and try to do it again. And unfortunately we didn't get one of those this last year, but I think for the classes coming in now that to be seniors, they get to see, listen, there's a lot that we can do to fix, you know, kind of how we handled our business. Yeah. And, you know, as coaches, they always say, you know, be a leader, you, you know, but we've been talking here. Sometimes the best things you learn are when you follow and, and following doesn't necessarily mean, Hey, that's exactly what I want to do. Maybe it's, <laughs> that's what I don't want to do. And, and so I think that can help, you know, spur that why a little bit, to be honest with you. Absolutely, you know, and I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna geek myself out here. I'm a huge, same huge Rocky fan. All the Rocky movies, I love them. But my my great my greatest Rocky movie. You, know, you couldn't have any of them without Rocky one. So that's gonna be one of the best ones. But Rocky three for me, he had it all. He was winning. He was doing well. Then lost it all. And it was through that that he finally, you know, in the movies, of course, it's called the Eye of the Tiger. I, I equate that to he found his why, you know, to what what he wanted to do. But, you know, Coach Lovell, you mentioned when the parents – and they may, they may realize it now. I'm sure some of them do. But the players and the parents may not realize it until five or ten years from now when one of the greatest successes of having an 0-9 season and having no one quit, that speaks volumes about your leadership and your style and the message you're sending to your kids because how easy is it to pack things in and just say, hey, this isn't for me, coach doesn't know what he's doing, or, and have every excuse in the book. But for to have no one quit, that says a lot about you and your program, which is going to benefit them for for the rest of their lives. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was uh, it was it was hard, you know. But uh, you know, we 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 are definitely moving forward, and it was wasn't anything I'd wish on my worst enemy. But I know that for me, in the position I'm in, it's it's clarified a lot uh, about how yeah. I want to do things and how I need uh, our staff to do things, and you know what we permit, we promote. That's that whole deal there, and. I think there's so many positives mm -hmm. that are going to come out of it. Um, we're, we're really excited. We're really, really excited. I appreciate you saying that, Coach. Yeah, well, I, I'm excited. You know, one of these things for both you, Coach Lovell and, and Coach Mathis, you know, it's such a blessing for me to connect with gentlemen like you guys because I'm, I'm excited now. Sometimes I feel like, I'm not going to lie, not as excited, but I'm almost as excited to find out about your seasons as our upcoming Amen. season. Amen. Because you, you, you have a common bond. You, you want to see other people who you know are doing things right succeed, uh, you know, on and, off, on and off the field. Yeah, absolutely. It, can, it creates that connection. And listen, um, you know, people give technology a hard time, but if, if we didn't have technology, this wouldn't be happening. Coach, what would you level. say, you know, I know you exactly. talk, and exactly. we spent a, a lot of time talking about the power of why, but if you were to give, you know, if you could go back 20 
seven years to, you know, a, a young Coach Hines, maybe not as good looking, but a younger Coach Hines, uh, what would you give yourself as the biggest piece of advice for, <laughs> you know, new or young coaches out there besides knowing your why? What would be the biggest thing that you could tell someone right now? Yeah, in addition, as you just said, in addition to knowing your why, I would say coach as many positions as you can. Ask as many questions as you can and listen. You know, I, I was blessed. You know, I think like most of us in life, you know, I was blessed to coach under some great coaches who knew the game and loved their <laughs> players. I also coached with some guys that were complete jack wagons mm-hmm. that I would – you know, not not only would I not want my son or daughter to be coached by them, I wouldn't want my cat or dog to be in the same room with them. Um, but so I, I would say just you'll learn from every every experience because you know the the greater I mentioned this to someone just a few days ago. You know, I, as far as embracing failure, the the more we can fail as coaches Sunday through Thursday, the greater chances we have for success on Friday night. So I, I think to a young coach, just say, hey, embrace the times you mess up in a drill, be coachable, listen to that head coach or that position coach that might be ahead of you. And to just humbly serve and, and, and listen That's great. would probably be one of the biggest things. Coach, I can't tell you how much we've enjoyed this time here tonight. This has been absolutely phenomenal. It's been our longest podcast so far. Um, we're coming up. Yeah. Wow. Um, just short of an hour, but um, you know, I, I guess, before we close up, is there anything I know coach just talked about advice for a new coach. Is there anything that you would like to leave, you know, those who are listening and, and really wanting to dive into that leadership piece, you know, relating to your, your why, is there anything that you'd like to leave people um, before we're done here tonight? Yeah, I would say take nothing for granted. And, I, and what I mean by that is I, I am so guilty of this. I, I caught myself now over the past few years. But I think way too many coaches for all sports, and, and I'm sure you gentlemen probably have said it too, we say to our seniors, hey, enjoy this year because before you know it, it's going to be over. Well, well, look what, look what happened with the coronavirus mm-hmm. and people's seasons were ended in a blink of an eye. And you know, you, we, we never know if it's going to be some virus or some pandemic or some injury or your family's going to move and you're going to – whatever it is. So j- just to, to be where your feet are as players, as coaches – um, and, and what I mean by that, when I say be where your feet are, be present, you know, to enjoy each moment, work hard, have goals, set goals, but man, enjoy that process of being where your feet are and really taking it all in. We'd like to thank coach Kurt Hines for spending the last hour with us discussing the power of why and how it can be influential as a leader in everything that you do, not just as a coach or a teacher, but in the business world, in your job, in your home, and in whatever it is that you do, finding your why will help you be a better person. If you'd like to follow Coach Hines on social media, you can do so at Coach Kurt Hines, K-U-R-T-H-I-N-E-S, on Instagram, Twitter. He's got a Facebook page. And he's got a podcast for what it's worth is the name. Check it out, subscribe, and listen to him break down the things that he's so good at as well. Thanks for tuning in tonight. And as always, 
rate, review, subscribe to our podcast. And let's keep chasing life, leadership, and greatness in all that we do. Thanks for listening. Have a great night.